And we're back. We're back. The Black Psychologist Podcast. Welcome, everybody. Appreciate everyone being here. I am one half of your humble and gracious host and clinician here for your listening pleasures, Dr. Kyle Osborne. He is I and I am him. And of course, never here by myself. I'm here with the the one and only, the leader of this revolution. He's liberated forever, domesticated never, none other than... Dr. Jason Coleman, how are you, good brother? I'm good, man. I'm good. Can't complain, man. We got a couple of weeks of summer left, bro. I'm just trying to enjoy that. Other than that, I got nothing else to say. You know, just want to thank everybody for listening. We appreciate all the support. You know, it's amazing every week. Um, you know, we're going to keep the content coming. Absolutely. Episode 25, man. We a quarter piece in. So I'm going to highlight um, what you said. Thank everybody for watching, for listening, for commenting, for subscribing. Continue to send um, you know, your, your comments, your support our way. The Black Psychologist Podcast at gmail.com. We appreciate everybody um, and their support. So um, continue to send it through because, you know, Dr. J and I love to interact. We love to get the feedback from everybody. So, you know, this is what we're here for. And um, you guys have any questions, any you know, support or things you want to throw our way? We're with it. All right. Ready to get this thing rolling? Oh, definitely, man. Definitely, bro. All right. Cool. All right, man. So we're going to start off with um, something that a lot of people are doing these days. All right. And that is uh, the online dating scene. OK, so research recently came out um, and there was a study that was done that found that there is a positive association between symptoms of anxiety and depression and uh, to the extent of dating app use, all right? So, so just to kind of give you a, a background for people that aren't familiar with the uh, online dating scene, um, let's talk about who these people are, all right? So the dating app Tinder reports 57 million users worldwide, all right? That's a lot. That's Tinder. Yeah, that's just Tinder. So that's just Tinder. So we're not even talking about some of the other ones that like we talked about. Okay, Cupid. Um, I think our last episode and some of the other different dating apps. All right. So that's just 57 million users worldwide, along with Tinder. All right. So who are some of these online daters? All right. So most online daters are eight, between the ages of 18 and 34, and most fall in between those ages of 18 and 24. However. There has been a 60% increase between the ages of 45 and 55. And even those 55 and older, their, their usage has doubled um, on a lot of these dating apps also. So, you know, let's give it up for the uh, the middle-aged folks getting their courtship and dating on, you know. That's right, man. That's right. Jumping into it, man. All right. So why do people do these dating apps right why are people doing the online dating scene all right so 49 percent of online daters through a recent uh study said that they report that they're looking for marriage so that's 49 percent while the other 47 percent report that they are specifically just looking for casual sex all right so it's kind of like a half and half thing some folks are there just to get things done the other half are there to actually looking for a meeting relationship so um so some of the um mental health aspect things that that came out were, were reported were that people who are using dating apps are more likely to be stressed, anxious, or depressed. And those that do use dating apps 
face three times the amount of stress in comparison to non-users. In addition to that, participants also noted that they um, that they use dating apps in the pursuit of validation of self-worth. Okay. All right. And also it's associated with poor body image and the use of unhealthy methods of weight loss. So uh, okay. that's the mental health aspect of it. Jay, as you were reading through this article, uh, what were some of your thoughts? All right. So like you just talked about a whole lot of different, we could go a whole bunch of different ways, mm -hmm. right? All right, so I'm gonna just start with one part. You were just talking about how um, it, it was, it was, I guess, associated with more distressed people, anxious um, people that are more vulnerable, I guess the symptoms of depression, things like that, right? Increased right. symptoms. So um, that makes sense to me, right? When you're talking about, especially because they talked about that's associated with like increased use. So, you know, the longer you're on it, probably the more dating apps you're on, the more vulnerable you are to this, right? And what that got me thinking about is, like, again, you can't say that they're not serving their purpose and they're not useful, right? Because again, we said 50% of people, you know, are there to hook up, 50% of people are there to get married. And, and in the article, they said 30% of people that got married are reporting that they met on dating apps, right? Mm -hmm. So I would say, if we just talking like, just at those numbers, that's a pretty good rate in terms of like people that are going from dating app to, to actually going to the altar. So it is happening for some people. Right. But in terms of just talking about why are these feelings kind of prominent amongst people that are using dating apps to me, I don't, I don't necessarily think that those feelings are exclusive to dating apps. I think they would be exclusive to social media in general. You know what I mean? All right. Um, and the, the reason why I say that is because, there's a lot of things that are common to both social media and dating apps, right? That weren't common before. So even if we look at something like taking a picture, right? Um, and I'm kind of bleeding, I'm looking at the, you know, bear with me, I'm looking at both of them kind of in one, as one at this at now. Before we used to like post a picture, look at a picture, Polaroid, put it in our, our, our album, whatever. It brings you some sense of relief when you see a nice picture of yourself or somebody else. Now, what's the difference? Whether it be dating app, uh, or uh, whether it be Tinder or, or you know, what are one of these other dating apps that's a little bit more interactive or like Facebook or something, we post a picture and then what? We wait for social approval, outside approval, right? Some people to make us feel good. By how? Mm -hmm. By what? Comments, by likes, right? All these different things, right? So again, what is that? How is that connected? Because it's going to make, it's going to make you more likely to keep checking that app. Keep checking the picture. How many people are looking? I'm I'm not as happy. Even if I look good in the picture, I'm not as happy because nobody is checking it out, right? How does this translate? I got a dating profile up, right? On, I don't know, uh, uh, Hinge, right? Nobody's checking it out. How do you think that makes me feel, right? Now, I'm not, this isn't true, but I'm just saying. You understand what I'm saying? No, you, you, you bring up a good point. Okay. Right. So that's why I think it's it's really social media in general. You know what I mean? Um, but you look and um, again, online dating is effective, right? Because you have 50% of people who are identifying going there, you know, looking for marriage. And then overall, you have 30% of people who are married talking about they met online. Um, so I think that's a good point too, right? The pandemic 
has normalized online dating all, almost to the point of quote unquote regular dating, right? Um, so, you know, it's a lot to talk about in this article, but this joint, I, I thought it was real um, interesting, man. What did you think when you was first, you know, reading through it? So, you know, I didn't, I didn't think um, it was enlightening, right? First and foremost, just because of there were some intangibles or some aspects that I didn't initially think about. And even you alluded to some of those things as far as like taking the pictures or keeping up with your profile, because that's a lot of maintenance, right? Like before, you know, when you go on a dating scene, like in person, you're making sure that you're presenting yourself correctly, right? You make yourself, you're presenting the best version of yourself as you go out, you make sure you, you're looking nice and, and, and things of that nature. But now you got a profile. So now you got to keep up with the profile. Like that's a lot of maintenance, whether it be the pictures, whether it be whatever your, your likes and your dislikes and whatever else is included. Like that's a lot of maintenance. And I imagine with all of that maintenance comes yeah. a lot of stress. Like you said, you're 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 constantly checking, um, you know, who's liking, who's matching with your profile and that nature. And when the article mentioned how some people utilize it sometimes just as a measure of self-worth or I'm thinking of like of the rejection piece, because think about right. it. Like in person, you know, if you go to a spot and you notice someone like at, at the bar or at, at a restaurant or someplace, right, social club. And you think they're attractive. So what most people do is that, you know, you try, you, you go for the eye test, right? Like you look at them, you try to make eye contact with them. You try to give them the head nod or something. And if that person is not into you, you know, they kind of ignore you, right? They kind of like look the other way or, you know, they, they, you know, they do something, they give you the look off, right? So that's one rejection that you're going to get, right? One person that you're trying to make con eye contact with, that person is like, if not with it, so they reject you, right? That's one rejection. But if you're looking at what the dating apps, it's a situation where like you see dozens of people that you're like scrolling through and you only match with those people whose profiles like yours also, right? Right. So like if you're not getting any matches, that's like 13, 14, 15 rejections that you could get within a day or within a week or however right. often you're on there. So like if you never match with those, with the people that you like, I can see how it can feel like a continuous rejection. If people are perceiving themselves, like if you're measuring your self-worth, then yeah, then you know what? That's going to plummet. Like your anxiety is going to, you know, is going to escalate because you're constantly thinking like, well, what's wrong with me? You know, right. what am I doing wrong? So, you know, even though it's like you said, you got a decent percentage, like 30% is pretty good. That's a pretty decent success rate. However, now you got the other 70 or you got another large percentage of people who are like, aren't getting that success. They're getting that constant rejection. And I can see how it can wreak havoc, like on their mental health. So, you know, it could hurt someone's, you know, self-esteem or like you said, it could help you find a mate. So I think it's kind of half and half, but that's tough, man. That's a lot of maintenance and a lot of work. I don't know if I'm cut out for something like that. I mean, you know what? You make a lot of good points. Um, I also would add like, that's kind of just the foot in the door, right? Whether or not there's a lot of rejection associated with that potentially, but that's just meeting someone, right? Um, because some of these dating apps, you got to remember, when you look at like, when you start reading some of these articles about like people's dating styles on the dating apps, it's like most people, there's very few people that meet one person and that's the only person that they meet on a dating app and the only person they're talking to, 
most people are talking to like several people at one time, right? Yeah. That that's why we get the concept of like ghosting and all of that, right? So now, okay, you meet somebody that you like, all right? Now you're in a competition with God knows how many people, you know what I mean? Talking to the yeah. same person. And remember, the day that they make a connection with anybody but you, most of them are not going to like tell you, you know, that, all right, I met somebody else. They're just going to ghost you, right? So then there's a rejection associated with that, right? And with certain people, you don't know what the investment might be, right? Because for somebody like, say, person A, I might have been on dating sites for five, ten years, right? So I know it's basically just vetting until you meet somebody in person. It's just vetting, right? Right. Or like talking to somebody in in the comments section, right? That's how you should look at it, talking to somebody in the comments section, right? But but for somebody (laughs) else, they might really be like, I, I mean, I've been on dating sites before. So it's like some people, you may meet them within an hour, like, yo, they're telling you like, pouring out like deep secrets to you. You know what I mean? And I don't remember any of these people's names now. I didn't meet any of them. Those people, you know what I mean? So you don't know the level of investment different people are making is my whole point. So when that rejection comes, the impact is going to be different. So it's just an interesting conversation. Yeah, you just mentioned like the the competition aspect of things, right? So now, like you said, you're constant competition with another profile. Like you're hoping like there's a whole, there's so many different layers to it where I could see how that could, you know, have a very like stressful impact on an individual who is, say, looking for someone, right? Say someone is looking for, you know, for marriage or is looking for um, a meaningful relationship. And if you're in constant competition with all these other different people and like you said, you might have someone else on this side who's just vetting. Someone might be more invested in this dating app than someone else who's just kind of casually, um, you know, just kind of on there seeking, make, looking to hook up. So it really depends on. Now you're looking at who's matching up with who or where you're at, right? As far as like what, who's looking for what type of relationship. Now you mentioned oh, something. Yeah. You kind of you mentioned that you're on the the dating apps, or you were, I, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, <laughs> so, so I gotta ask, in, in, in your experience, in your in your experience, right? <laughs> what do you uh-huh. what do you prefer? Like, do you do you prefer? The, the the online or or in person are you are you that well, I'll tell you this. right now i don't prefer anything because i'm not on i'm not on anybody's dating site <clears throat> but what i will tell you is look at this guy look at this dancer i love it no what i will tell you is this <laughs> when i was on a dating site right online it would be and i don't know i'm just saying this because obviously it's a male perspective i don't know how it looks from a female perspective yeah yeah sure but I can't tell you how many people anecdotally I can say that I saw on their profile that said, I'm just tired of people ghosting me. I'm tired of guys ghosting me. Like, so all I'm saying is wow. it's an issue with, it's probably an issue for some people. You know what I mean? Where they meet somebody, talk to them, think they met somebody nice. You know what I'm saying? And then I guess they, you know. Yeah. yeah I, I you, know, then, then, you know, kind of, you know, the relationship just dissipates. Um, now, in terms of what you asked me before, in terms of what I would prefer, right? Um, I think there's advantages to both, and I'm gonna tell you 
I'm gonna tell you why. I'm gonna tell you as somebody who's, you know, been dating out in the dating world, like I would say fairly recently, like we was in school and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, meeting somebody in person is always gonna have its advantages for the reasons that we all know, right? You can feel a personality, you can feel their energy. You know, it's something about chemistry, you know, where you might just bump into somebody spontaneously, you know, um, on that night out with your friends and all of that type of stuff, right? So we all know about that. And then you see the person and some people see, you know, you know, the man or woman of their dreams, right? Now, I think online has its advantages too because of like the reach, right? So it's like, I could be in New Jersey and meet somebody, you know, um, in South Carolina, you know, mm-hmm. or in London, you know what I'm saying? My, your your like parents couldn't do that, you know what I'm saying? So, what that means in terms of finding somebody that's compatible to you, you know, I think um, the possibilities are endless. You know, now you might have some limitations in terms of like seeing a person and all of that, but um, I think they both have their benefits. You know, so. Nowadays, like if I was a young person coming coming up, I would utilize, as you see, young people, they utilize both equally. You know what right. I'm saying? So, you know. Yeah, for me now, I've, I've never done the um the dating app. Um, I've never gone that route. I, I do. I do. Never, never, never. You I'm never old, met anybody. Off I'm old school, bro. App. I'm old school. No, man. no, no, I'm no, very, no. That's very not old school. old school. That's just old. Yeah, That's that too. Old. That too. Yeah, yes. yeah, that too. But I, I do see. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm very traditional, okay? Oh, very traditional, man. conservative guy. Oh. You know, I, you know, I got, I got to look you in the eye. You know, <laughs> but I Yo, see you never, you never had a dating app on your phone. Nah, nah. You, I'm gonna tell you why. I'm gonna tell you why. It's fear. It's fear based. Okay. I was always fearful that. Whoever is on the other end, because you, you're presenting the best version of yourself. You can draw up <laughs> yourself to be whatever you want to be. So, right. like I, you, like me, if I'm dressing up the best version of myself, you might see me with the waves. You see what I mean? This might be like 2005, <laughs> 2006 car. Oh, you see God. what I mean? But no, I was I was always fearful that you know whoever like say we we meet up and we see the picture. It's like all right, everything's flowing. Whatever conversations is is going well. But I always fear that like all right, what. And this may sound pretty vain, but I'm always fearful of that. Whatever I'm seeing like online or whatever the, the profile pick is not going to be the same thing that walks in like when we meet up. Right. So you listen. That, that's so a you, very, very limited, <laughs> very kind of you see to me. But that's something that was like uh, for me. But I understand. I like the aspect where you can filter through of it. Like I do see that benefit of as opposed to like when you meet somebody in person and kind of filling out those vibes. All right. It doesn't work. Doesn't work. And you got to go through like a whole dinner or a conversation or whatever the, the meeting circ- the meeting circumstances are like you can filter through that via like, you know, what I mean, through the dating app. So like you can find somebody you match with. So I see both sides of it. You see what I mean? But like me, I was always that fear was like, you know, like that. was. So you so you went through all of that to say that you were scared to get catfished. Yes. Yes. I Yes. There it is. Scared to get catfished. I don't like cap. I don't like that. Let me ask you this. And I'm not I'm not convincing you one way or the other. But video chat, man. 
Yeah, you're right. You're right. That's why I'm old, bro. I don't have to tell you. Look, man. That's why I said old. That's why I said old. Old traditional. Moving forward, you know, we can move on. I'm seasoned, man. I'm (laughs) traditional, you know, but you know. No, I'm just messing with you. You know, but um, yeah, it was it was interesting article. So um, I definitely yeah yeah definitely. So uh, we we'll uh we'll continue to to take a look at that and see how the apps go because you know what something. You know, especially because you mentioned COVID earlier in the conversation, and I imagine that exploded even more because of the social distancing app, app, um, aspect of things. So since COVID is in play and we don't know how things are going to go, I imagine that a lot of these dating apps have seen an increase or a spike in, you know, um, their membership and their enrollment or what have you because of COVID. So because you, you can't you can't go out anymore. You can't do those same, same things that you would see people at different social gatherings. So, um, I mean... They're thriving for a reason. So, you know, but it was, uh, it was an interesting article. No, I believe it. I believe it. All right. Definitely. So moving forward. All right. On the politics. So Texas uh, Governor Dan Patrick, a couple weeks ago, or more more last week, um, came out and he blamed the COVID surge on African-Americans that have not been vaccinated. All right. I'm going to read his quote. Said COVID is spreading, particularly most of the numbers are with the unvaccinated, and the Democrats like to blame the Republicans on that. Well, the biggest group in most states are African Americans who have not been vaccinated. Last time I checked, over 90% of them vote for Democrats in their major cities and major counties. So it's up to the Democrats <laughs> to get as many people vaccinated. All right. That's what Dan Patrick said. So it's it's on the African Americans that haven't been vaccinated. All right, so let's just uh, you know, as we get into it, let's let's um let's let's get the fake news out the way and, and check this. All right, so first and foremost, all right, black people are about thirteen percent of the total population and are not the biggest group of unvaccinated people in either Texas or in any other state in the U.S. So let's just get that out the way. All right, mm-hmm. um, in actuality, through um from the Texas Department of State Health Services, this this stats from them. All right. White adults actually account for the largest share of unvaccinated adults. Um, And particularly in his state of Texas, black people actually represent 15 percent of the positive cases. Hispanics represent 52 percent of the positive cases and white people represent 32 percent of the positive cases. So um, that's according to the Texas State of Health Services. I just want to throw that out there. Um, What's your take on this, Jay? Um, listen, man, um, we won't have to spend too much time on this, but definitely we had to kind of shine a light on this. There's a couple of problems, obviously, with this, right? Number one is that it's factually wrong, right? Um, to kind of be stating things that are factually wrong on that type of pro, uh, platform, although not necessarily uncommon, is, is just irresponsible. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second problem is that, you know, I didn't see the whole show. You know, but it did not appear that he was challenged by the host at all. You know what I mean? Um, so if it's factually wrong, he's not challenged by the host. You know, it leads me to like a couple of conclusions. It's either like neither one of them has the facts and they're both just ignorant, which could be possible that they're both just ignorant. So maybe we should excuse them for just being ignorant, you know, mm-hmm. Um or they don't mind race baiting to score political points, right, with their audience. It's one or the other. They got a hold one or the other, right? right? 
Um, I think I know which one it is, but everybody can make their own decision. But um, obviously it's shameful when you look at the actual numbers. You know, they were kind of interviewing um, some scientists from like a local university. And they were saying, when you look at the numbers, there's zero room for misinterpretation, right? Um, so obviously this is like a blatant attempt to, you know, blame, a, you know, the, the negative aspects of a pandemic on a group of people, right? Vulnerable people. And, and I take this personally and it's a problem because in my personal life, when we're talking to people who are on, you know, the fence about the vaccine and different things like that, they point at BS like this and they say, this is why we don't trust healthcare and people in leadership positions, right? Because right. we have somebody who has that type of title who will stand up on that type of platform and just blatantly tell lies, right? So when you have that, don't think it doesn't directly contribute to the quote unquote anti-vaxxers that we have or people who are unsure or um, legitimate science in our own or in our own you know places of, of business, you know what I mean, or in our own circles. So it's irresponsible, you know. Yeah, I mean the statements like and you you mentioned it, um, they're pretty much just offensive, they're racist and just flat out inaccurate. Um disappointing but not surprising honestly um that he would rather like you like you said he would rather scapegoat black people than do the right thing as far as like working with local government to help you know control the spread of of COVID-19 so that he'd rather do that like you said kind of doing the race baiting than actually uh it appears do some work but you know again it's not surprising because you know Dan Patrick has a history of saying things like this, like just, a, right. you know, be, earlier in the month, he blamed undocumented immigrants for the rise in cases. So, you know, I guess he's moved on from, you know, the undocumented immigrants causing the spread or causing the rise to now it's African-Americans. And I remember this was the same guy who um, last year, and uh, I think it was like April or May, this is when the, the virus um, had really started ramping up. Uh, he was on Fox News, and I remember he said that um, yeah, he said the U.S. should get back to work, right? So this is like April, May of 2020, and he's like, yeah, you know what? He's like, even though he said the U.S. he said people should get back to work, and even people over the age of 70, he said, now nah, we we they can take care of themselves, right? right. So, you know, so yeah, so he has a track record of saying, like you said, these irresponsible statements, and um, so I'm not surprised. Um, because again, this is what's going to get the views and continue to say irresponsible statements. The thing that I'm concerned about, because uh, you mentioned one aspect of it, of people, this is what contributes to the anti-vaxxers and them not trusting the government and not getting vaccinated. I'm concerned about the the, the other extreme aspect of things in that, you know, this is going to give feel to somebody to go out there and do something like outrageous and dangerous. Right. Because we've right. seen a lot of radical behavior. So you can, you know, I hope this doesn't happen. But when you have misinformation like this getting spread out into these different huge news outlets, I'm concerned that, you know, you're going to have someone who's going to think that, oh, well, the community's got infected and it's due to black people. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to do something, you know, based off of misinformation and do something really dangerous and really harmful to someone. Because we've seen individuals that are ill-informed 
act out and do radical violent behavior. So this is why this that's the aspect that I'm concerned about when people start to take on this false information. And this shouldn't be ignored because this continues to happen. This impacts people. People go out and make these terrible decisions. And this is how folks get hurt. So that's that's the aspect of it that I'm concerned about when, you, when people make these irresponsible statements. Well, I mean, I agree with what you're saying. Um, I also think like one one thing people will try to do in these instances is like say, well, this is just one instance, right? This is just Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Nobody else in position of power is doing this, right? We all know we don't have to go to the former president giving us multiple examples, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we talked during when we when we spoke at NAMI, right? We spoke about um, the former uh, Surgeon General Jerome Adams, right? I think it was uh, April 4th, uh, 2020, he was in a briefing room giving briefings about and, and general information about how all people should protect themselves about COVID-19, right? And then he decided to address African-American and Latinx people and said, in addition to what he told everyone else, for us to stop with all the alcohol and drugs, right? <laughs> yeah. and illegal drugs. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> That's why you're smiling, right? Because it was so absurd, right? Yeah, Joe, that was um, out of control. And and he went as far as to say, you know, uh, look out, do it for your big mom, right? So this is as absurd. And this is a black dude, right? But we're talking about people that in political in positions of power who don't mind race baiting or saying things that are wrong factually, right? Because we know that in this country, African-Americans and, and um, Caucasians use drugs and sell drugs at similar rates. Exactly. And, you know, um, if anything, they're a little bit higher for white people, right? But they're similar, right? Um, so we know the falsehood that, that people try to paint. But what we're talking about is people in positions of power that are not afraid to use these little tropes and, and, and race bait to score political points, you know? And I mean, it's disgusting. And it's all we always are going to try to have to point it out um, and hope that people point it out when it affects, you know, minority groups. Yeah. So, I mean, it's um, I'm happy um, that I know a lot of different officials and a lot of different individuals um, have spoken out against this. And uh, this can't be ignored, you know, because of just the reasons that we we just mentioned, because um, this is harmful. And like you said, we we it's come from the top and you still have people just kind of spewing this um, it's rhetoric that could be really harmful and impactful. So uh, I'm happy you do have select individuals that are, are speaking out against it. But it just know, man, it's just it's like a head shaker moment. And when you hear some of these things come out, it's just like, I don't know. Um, yeah, man. But, you, you know, you know, the goal and I know the goal of why. Um, you know, they go off and say things like that. And I'm just, again, like we mentioned earlier, just, just concerned about the harmful impact. So uh, we'll continue to monitor. And I'm sure he'll come out and say it's another marginalized group that's causing, you know, the siege or the, the increase. Um, so we'll continue to see. All right. Uh, moving forward. All right. Getting back into the um, the hip hop entertainment area. All right. So Lil Wayne was uh recently did a candid interview about mental health and his experiences so recently he was um in an interview with former nfl star and current spox analyst emmanuel um um Aiko, 
or Acho. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. But Acho, uh, yeah. Acho. There you go. All right. Um, that's on Uncomfortable uh, Conversation. It's a YouTube series. And in the conversation, uh, Lil Wayne opened up about his mental health experience, and he was very candid about it. And um, he mentioned that he had noticed he had first noticed him uh, experiencing mental health struggles, becoming unstable and having some difficulties around age 10. And he said it all came to a head when he was about 12 years old, when he had had some on, you know, some arguments and things with his mother about um, I think it was about school and his mother had threatened to keep him from rapping and throw out some of his mom his written material. And, you know, he said at that point in time, he said that he really took that to heart. In addition to some of like some of the radical um, thoughts that he said he had been having kind of on and off. So he said it got to one point that um, he knew that his mom kept a gun like in the drawer. And so he said that he had put the gun in his temple, but um, he instead shot himself in the chest. And he said it, it took for um, the sheriff's because I think he had called the, the cops right before he had pulled the trigger. And he said it took um, the cops or one one sheriff in particular named Uncle Bob that actually ran in there and saved his life. And he said if it was a couple centimeters, maybe to the left or to the right, that he would have shot himself in the heart. So um, he said he had, you know, really had difficulty articulating a lot of his mental health struggles, even when he was a teenager, because he said, you know, what, you really have no one to vent to, you know, when you're at school, you can't bring it to your friends at school because you're still trying to be cool to them. And you're, you know, not trying to let them know that you got something going on at home. So um, this was a really dope article. Uh, What was your your takeaway from it? Um, I'm going to jump on right and piggyback right on what you said. Um, the first thing was, I think, stood out the most. Number one, he told he was talking about how like some of these feelings started when he was like 10, 12 years old, mm-hmm. right? And we know, one thing we know, we always tell parents, mentors, what? Children speak to us through what? Their behaviors, right? And why do we say that? Little Wayne articulated it perfectly, right? He said, I couldn't talk to my friends, right? There was not enough support around me. Right. I couldn't tell people or, or articulate the words to talk about what was going on at home. This is why we pay attention to children's background. Right. This is why we people think teachers and, and, and mentors and coaches are nosy when we're asking, did you eat breakfast or how do you get disciplined or did your mother ask you to have a good day? Right. Because these are the things that give you red flags about what is going on at home. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. That's why I think it's important that we all check in on our kids. You know, um, I'm not going to just blatantly say talk to your kids because when I mean check in, it could be a mentor. It doesn't even necessarily have to be you if you don't have that relationship. Right. Um, but providing them with support and resources and then at the end of the day, coping skills right, and trying to directly engage them. Um, so that was the first part, you know, just paying attention to their behavior, how they speak in us. The second thing is. Um, just looking at looking back through the music, right? He said in the article that he talked about how for years he said um, that it was an accident, right? And going back through the music, like in the block is hot, like on that first album and all through the Hot Boys albums, a lot of his work, he mm-hmm. talked about it like as it was like it was an accident, right? He always used to kind of like insinuate 
that it was a, I don't want to say insinuated with a little more, so let me not say that. Um, plus, you know how complicated Lil Wayne, Lil Wayne raps be sometimes. So, right. But what I'm saying is, even for somebody like him, right, all that money, all of that, there was still the, sick, the stigma and the shame and the guilt associated with him shooting himself and not succeeding at it, right? Um, and you, do you remember the, the verse he did on that song, Sad, that um, on, what's Beyonce's sister's name? Oh, on, Solange, on Solange's, album. Solange's album, yeah. He's, he's rapping about, about that day, right? The yeah. whole verse is about him trying to kill himself. And he was like, yo, something, something, something about, you know, um, how sad I was on that day, right? Mm-hmm. And he was talking about after, you know? Um, and a lot of people don't understand how, you know, people who are suicide, who experience suicidal ideation and go through it and are unsuccessful feel worse because that's one more thing they were unsuccessful at, right? Um, but I, I also think it's to got to pay attention and reach out and, and continue to reach out when we know people are in distress, right? Because what did he say before he did it? He called the police, mm-hmm. right? And in his mind, he said he was thinking, I'm going to show you to his mother. That's not a person. That's desperation. You understand what I'm saying? That's a person who's had enough. That's a person who's overwhelmed. That's not a person who's ready to quit. We we all see how much life he had left in him. Yeah. If you ask me, he's the GOAT. You understand what I'm saying? If, if you ask me, you understand? I respect Jay and all of that, but Lil Wayne is the gatekeeper of a whole nother generation, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. And he's a GOAT to a whole nother generation. Um, so we know how much life he had in him, so you could never say he was a quitter. You know what I mean? We're talking about an ill-informed opinion, you know? Um, but look at that behavior. He called the police, and in his mind, he was saying, I'm going to show mom. That's, that's, that's somebody who's overwhelmed, desperate, reaching out for help. You know what I'm saying? And it's not there, you know? So a very interesting article. Now, this was a... Um... This was a brave and vulnerable conversation, and I appreciate Wayne speaking with so much transparency. You know, outside of some of his lyrics, this is probably the most transparent I've ever seen, you know, in, in right. a lot of any of his interviews. And, um, you know, you touched on it a little bit as far as like the lyrics. Right. And that's a, that's the the stigma that rap is often blamed for. Right. Rap is often blamed for glamorizing gang culture, money, drugs, violence, misogyny, etc. However, if you listen to a lot of people's lyrics, even his, especially as Wayne has been rapping like more recently within the past five, six years, you know, there's more substance in it, right? It's he, you also find what's in his raps and, and other people's lyrics is that there's, they, they articulate a lot of the pain and anguish that they've experienced, right? So they're telling the right. story. It's not always just about some of those superficial things. Like a lot of these individuals have experienced so much trauma, right? From such an early age. And so that's the part, like you mentioned, is the reaching out. So even as, as, as clinician, as therapist, and if you necessarily haven't lived you know, that particular, you don't come from that background, you haven't lived that life, you know, what, this is why it's so important about what he discussed in the interview, because he's given us an opportunity as clinicians, as, as people just listening that are in a position to be able to help, um, to understand 
the triumphs and the traumas that are experienced by African-American boys and men. Right. I mean, right. you work with a, a lot of the youth, um, you know, being able this this is an understanding that 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 enables clinicians, therapists, providers, whatever term you want to use to really be able to recognize that hopelessness and pain that he had. Right. So he's thinking about if I lose rap, if I lose music, you see what I mean? This that's the that's the frame of mind that he was in. Right. Even back then. Right. Even back then at 10 or 12 years old, that's how important it is for him because it was therapeutic for him. This, that's the one thing that he found hope in. So you have to think about what about some of the other kids that, you know, are in that same position. So this is our ability as clinicians. And like, you know, we've talked about this in previous episodes of this is the way in. Right. This is how we're able to understand all that hopelessness, all the pain that, you know, we might have missed. But you have to really be listening to it, right? You really have to see and really be aware of it. Now, of course, his story and his experience is not the same as every black kid, um, but it's not far off either. So there's a significant amount of kids that are experiencing that. So, you know, we've been unfamiliar for so long and asking that, you know, how do we know what to do? How do we explain it? Like, this is it. Right. This type of conversation, when you hear the lyrics of a lot of these artists that are they're speaking for this generation. Right. So now since they they've struggled and they haven't had this outlet, they're using music. Right. This is our opportunity as clinicians, as therapists for us to be like, OK, this is what they're going through. So, you know, I, I felt like this was, you know, so, you know, on time. And I appreciate Wayne. And I'm happy that not just with him, but overall, like, you know, mental health is getting more of that attention, you know, so society can kind of see, okay, you're seeing the behaviors of what's happening in our community, but why? Right. Okay? right. This is the important question that never gets asked is why So now, you know, they're being forthright with their struggles and what they've experienced. These are the ones that made it. Right. Right. Cause there's a whole bunch of other little wins. That's a right. profound point. These, these are, are the ones, ones that made it. These are the ones that made it, right? And they're just telling their story. Right. They're telling their story about what they went through and what a whole lot of other people are going through. So this is why right. we need to listen up and be aware because they're they're providing a window. Right. And I was like, what do we do with that information? But um, yeah, hats off to, to Wayne um, for being, like you said, he's 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 ushered in through generations man since through the late 90s to now we in the early we in 2021 2022 and he's he's still you know what i mean one of our our, our best spokesmen our, our folks that are that are leading leading the charge so i'm loving it listen little listen little wayne is one of the best representations of why being yourself is always wins and being original right because i remember a time when he was standing on stage Dressed the way he was dressed, wearing what he was wearing, tattoos on his face, dressed dyed a certain color, and people was was making assumptions that he had a mental health problem. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And five years later, everybody looked like that. You understand? And exactly. when you look at the, the trends in music now, everybody has taken a piece and put their own little twist on it. That, but that's why all of the young artists respect him the way they do. You know. Um, and, and in terms of the mental health piece, I agree with you totally, right? Because, and I think what you said was gold, man. It was valuable because 
he said in his article, I want to help people with problems, mental health problems, by me, me being vulnerable, right? That means a lot to because people hear that, right? And and it may mean that somebody would be more likely to reach out to you. Meek Mill going on his Instagram saying, oh, you know, we got to make mental health therapy, you know, cool, you know, palatable for people, whatever, however he wants to phrase it. The point is, it's the exact opposite of calling people weak for having mental health problems. Exactly. Right? Um, and in, you know, a, let's just say, you know, a, a section of entertainment, of music, you know, where there, where we can say that there's a, there's a lack of empathy in a lot of ways to keep it light for a lot of different things when we talk mm-hmm. about violence, when we talk about different things, the criticism some people might have, right? This is one area where we can't criticize rappers and, and we actually have to give them their fault. Absolutely. You have to. They have been at the forefront of adolescents, teenagers, and adults hand um, because it makes its way to the session. So, you know, I'm personally thankful to all of us. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, hats off to, to, to Wheezy for uh, being at the forefront of this. So staying in uh, the hip hop realm, um, Kid Cudi recently shared some news, um, some some tragic news of something that took place in his life. He recently shared that uh, with his fans regarding the the, the loss of um, of his dog, Freshie. All right, so he uploaded a, a lengthy uh, Twitter post. I'm gonna not gonna read the whole thing. I'm just gonna read some aspects of it. Um, but he said, "I got some sad news for y'all." Freshie's gone. He left us a few days ago peacefully um, at home, surrounded by his family. I held his hand and whispered in his ear to let him know that I was there when he slipped away. I told him he was, he was my uh, my special boy, my best friend, and that he was perfect, and that I loved him, and I'll miss him so much. All right, so um, so Freshie was actually a dog, and he talks about it a little bit in his post, was a dog that he got back in 2010 when he was filming the HBO series, How to Make It in America. And so for those that aren't familiar with his role on that show, he was like the uh, he was the wee guy and the, and the dog walker guy. Um, now, even though the series was on for a couple, it was only I think it was only on for a couple seasons, but it was actually a pretty good show. I remember it. Um, yeah, it was. It was a good yeah, show, man. It was a good joint. So. Um, so, yeah, he said himself he was, you know, really nervous around dogs. And um, he said that on while on the set, while on filming, he said, you know, him and, and Freshie, you know, they hit it off and they became great companions. And so uh, he said he's been with him for 11 years. You know, um, he's been on with him along, you know, his roller coaster of his life. And he said he was, you know, Freshie was with him through it all day. He said, you know, he really did. And he came up and he licked me if I was crying. He loved to lay in bed with me. He was always by my side and close by. He was my guardian angel. He said, nights when I wanted to cut myself, I'd see Freshie and I couldn't do it. He would stare at me when I would have a knife to my stomach, eyes glaring at me, telling me to put the knife down. My life will be empty, will be more empty with him gone. And to anyone who has lost a pet, I feel your pain. Um, So this was the... This was this was a tough one to read. Um, honestly, you know, if anyone has a pet, I'm sure they can imagine um, who you know you've ever lost a pet or you know you have a pet. This this is um this was a, a tough message in my in my heart and prayers. You know, go out to Kid Cudi, you know, for his loss uh, because you know pets are part of the family. Um, so Jay Jay, as you read this, you know, because this came in like really great 
right right before we went on, and I'm happy you brought this yeah. to our attention. So, uh, Jay, what, what was your um your thoughts about this? Um, I actually, and I told you, I talked to you about this like briefly. Like, I actually like stumbled upon it by accident because when I first read it, I was like, "Well, why are they writing an article about Kid Cudi's dog dying?" You know, like, no disrespect, we live in America. This is a you know, we love, this is a dog loving you know, country, people love the animals, like we joke about it, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But then I kind of started seeing, okay, trauma, self-harm, then it, then the, the seriousness, the heaviness of the topic, right? Um, first, it kind of brought me back to working in behavioral hospitals in Philadelphia. Um, and, you know, it used to be like, well, why are they always bringing in these rabbits or dogs? you know, or cats or whatever animals they're bringing, service animals. Um, but the patients, you know, you would have patients who were, I'm not going to say they were catatonic, but you have patients that were like uh, very le much less responsive than other ones, right? Mm -hmm. Much less yeah. interactive. Yeah, a lot, a lot. All of those things, right? Yeah, isolation, right? Um, right. And you would see the differences sometimes when you would bring those animals into the room, right? Um, I remember one time they brought a rabbit. And what you, what a lot of people I think don't understand about trauma, um, especially when it's developmental, um, or especially, you know, when it goes over, goes on along a long period of time, you know, sometimes it's easier to connect with an animal than it is to connect with a human being, right? Um, so when you can kind of fix your mind around that and understand that, you know, then you can kind of understand how somebody, especially when somebody has a history of self harm. Mm -hmm. can really look at a dog as a companion, right? And have a lot of trust in that dog because a lot of people, especially with self-harm, the times they're going to struggle is not during the day when they're with you. They're with you. You know what I mean? Um, it's when they go home and they're isolated and they're, and they're a victim of their own intrusive thoughts, right? And rumination. Um, he's telling that the dog brought him enough comfort where he wouldn't cut himself, then that's a serious social support that you got to consider and value. You know what I mean? Um, so that's where I kind of went with it, man. Just, um, wow. Like that was heavy, man. He's talking about his nights where he had a knife to his stomach and he didn't do it. Right. Um, if you think about it, that's, that's where the value of animals come from. Right. Because, and this is kind of why, and I'm not comparing animals to children, but this is kind of why we love like little, little kids that can't talk, right? Because you got the worst day in the world and walk through the door and your little puppy is going to run up to you and, and, and jump on your leg because he don't know that you got, that you don't have a bad day. You know, the same way a one-year-old, two-year-old, you know, if they're walking, is going to grab your leg the same way, right? Mm -hmm. um, and these, you know, these actions bring us comfort is what I'm saying. Um, so... Yeah, I think it's yeah. just that that un, that you know all pets like you mentioned like with the rabbit even with cats, um, but I feel like with dogs especially like it's that unconditional, you know, support like you know yeah. a lot of animals they don't they're indifferent to race to gender to clothing to your SES your size, you know they're they're indifferent to that. It's like you know you can feel their love and like he mentioned he said you know freshie would get in the bed with him would would look at him and and like you mentioned like it's usually when you're by yourself when these thoughts start to take place and you know that innate ability to know when something's wrong you know it's i mean there's research in it but it's like this magical calm 
affect that these animals right. that they have and you know in for them or for i guess in his case for him to be having those severe that you know as you know harmful harmful thoughts and for you know freshy to be able to alleviate that stress that that loneliness that and whatever else he, that he was experiencing i mean that's powerful you know that that's so powerful and um you know it, it's an amazing you know effect that they have on us and i always even think about just um the social recognition aspect that that dogs or, or or pets have but i'm it's especially dogs because there's a link between pet care and self-care and that you know when you take a dog out for a walk you know people talk to you you know people will walk up to you people will be like oh what kind of dog is that or they make some type of friendly gesture and you know it's there's like this whole social aspect like you mentioned whether you're on a psych unit and they have the pet therapy or if you're just walking your dog like there's just that social aspect that you know that dog has not just on you but just on you know people around you like it it prompts a response of maybe back when you were young and you know kids and and it just it's just a whole amazing effect so um this is this is tough i'm I, you know uh, this is you know a, a significant loss for for cuddy and um you know this was it was a heavy article and you know hats off to him also for sharing that with us because he didn't have to you know he could have kept that to himself um but I'm, I am happy that that he, you know, he did share that with the world because I feel like that's something that doesn't get talked about enough is the effect that our, our pets have because they are a part of the family. So um, but, yeah, it, it's just an amazing, magical effect that that dogs have. And like you said, you've seen them on in the hospitals. I've seen them in the hospitals and um, they do great for patients, man. Like you said, you have some of the folks that present with, you know, 23 24 hours of the day they're they're in their room but when pet therapy comes out they they're there man and you you see right. their their affect is just brighter like i right. think it's just amazing to see and that might be just enough to get that patient kind of trending in the right direction because that's what they're looking forward to while they're on the unit so um yeah. you know so i'm i'm happy he shared that with us um and uh you know it's it's great and I, you know, like you said, thoughts and, and positive vibes and prayers go out to him and the family as, as they go through this time. Yeah, man. I don't have much to add to that. This um, it goes a long way in terms of reducing the stigma. Um, so him, Lil Wayne, you know, Meek Mill, all the other artists, you know, Rod Wave, others that are kind of talking about mental health. You know, it's making our job easier. So we appreciate it, right? Increasing. Um, access to information and reducing stigma. So we appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Uh, Jay, anything else before we get out of here? Good brother. Nah, man, you know, um, not much, man. Nothing else, man. Just, just want to thank everybody for listening, tuning in. Um, we're going to keep the content coming. So we definitely appreciate everybody taking time out of their day to listen. Uh, please continue to like the videos and we'll keep them coming. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, um, the Black Psychologist Podcast at gmail.com. Continue to, you know, send um your your statements, any concerns, any questions you guys have. You know, Dr. J and I are, are always we're always looking to, you know, provide some insight. Um again. 
appreciate everybody's support. Continue to subscribe, and uh, we'll see everybody out there. I'm um, speaking to animals. Midnight, you want to get in on this? You want to say hello? Come on. Come on. Come say hello to the people since we're talking about dogs and stuff. No? You don't want to do it? Okay. Make me look crazy out here. All right. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, Jay. So we're out of here, man. Um, everybody continue to be safe. We wishing everybody good mental health as we close out the summer. And um, yeah, that's um that's all I got. All right, good brother. All right, my brother. Till next time. Later. All right.